to everyone. <clears throat> I don't know who's joining so late at night or in the early hours of the morning, but this is when the share is happening. Okay. Parsha in my life, Parsha's Ve'era. If anybody wants to sponsor this year, please let me know. You can get the merit of the shear and hopefully all the inspiration post-class. The Torah is beyond time, so it's as if you got it before. And the, uh, all the brachas is there for you and your family for only good. So uh, tonight is exciting. It's exciting. It's very exciting. We're going to continue to explore how everything is lining up. Everything is lining up on all levels. There is such incredible synchronization of every element of existence that is lining up for incredible goodness and light to, to, um, to come about, to basically burst forth momentarily. So it's, so it's, I would say, a continuation. I spoke last week about the year 2020, what it represents. And uh, so on the same themes and ideas, we're going to be using numbers and um, notwithstanding the fact of such darkness, which I'm not going to get into because I don't want to talk about darkness, um, we'll touch upon the darkness as well. Um, the darkness and the darkest darkness happened seconds before the seconds before the brightest light, and that's the theme of this week's parsha. God answering Moshe Rabbeinu for Moshe Rabbeinu's crying out, or Moshe, or the process of redemption has begun, and we know here's the idea: like you when you went out of Egypt, I will show you wonders. We know that the Egyptian exile and the Egyptian redemption is re, is repeats itself on a on a on a much greater scale in this current time, in this exile, and in this redemption. So, I want to make sure that I don't hear an echo from me talking. Hold on, just one second. So we take a look at the parallels of what happened then, what's happening now. So just like in Mitzrayim, you have the, the, uh, the release, the powerful introduction of redemption, and yet there comes a big pushback to the redemption. It gets pushed back, but the pushing back adds momentum and adds tension, as we're going to see in a moment, for the, um, for the uh, redemption to finally come blasting through. So the same happens at the 
final redemption, which is the current redemption, which without a shadow of a doubt we are now in the midst of experiencing with all this craziness, as we've been pointing out in the last couple of years, but primarily in the last year. And the craziness is only increasing and just increased the madness uh, exponentially just in the last few days, in the last week. Um, to a certain degree, sometimes we want to like, oh, we, we can't bear it, which is good. It's part of the reason there is that darkness, as we're soon going to see. But first, a very interesting insight, which I sent out on a video last week, Friday, but just in case those who don't receive the daily video, uh, I'd like to share this idea as well as an introduction to the class, that um, Moshe, in last week's Torah portion, after God sends him to take the, after Hashem sends Moshe Rabbeinu to go fetch the Jewish people, fetch them, I'm all tired, so some strange words are coming out. Um, after Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to go and um, take the Jewish people out of Egypt and to begin the process of the redemption, Moshe goes to Pharaoh, to Paro, and um, he is very unsuccessful. Not only that, you imagine you're being sent by God to do something, you'd be, uh, you know, <laughs> it would, you would be at least impactful to a certain degree. Have maybe a partial effect. Paro begins negotiations. Instead, he kicks him out of the palace, literally threw him out of the palace. And not only that, not only didn't he accomplish what he needed, things got miserably worse. It became so bad that the Jewish people just couldn't bear it anymore. And even though they loved Moshe and they were so excited, they believed him, yet they spoke to him in a very, okay, we know it wasn't the Jewish people, it was just two troublemakers, but the very fact that even they uh, were able to address Moshe Rabbeinu in such a disrespectful way, saying that God should punish you for what you've done to, the Jew, to us, because you know, when the Jewish people were not able to complete their quotas because of the enormous extra um, load of work where they had to go search for the straw to help make the bricks, usually the, 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 all the materials were provided for them. Now they just had to make the bricks and, and build them. But then when they needed to go seek out the materials, they wasted at least a half a day or more looking for the materials. So they only had a half a day time to do what they, that they were doing with enormous pressure before that superhuman strength to be able to complete. And now they had to do it double, at least double as, as fast, and they weren't able to. So when they weren't completing the work, the Egyptian taskmasters, as the Midrash tells us, were taking actually people and filling them in into the walls, in the places. I mean, uh, the horror is just, we can't even imagine what, what, what kind of cruelty, what kind of horror was going on. And it seemed like Moshe caused this. God caused this by, by sending the Redeemer. So Moshe cries out to God. He comes back and he says to Hashem, Why have you made bad to your people? I don't get it. If it wasn't bad enough, why'd you send me to make it worse? So what does Hashem answer Moshe Rabbeinu? Hashem says to him, Now you will see. Now you will see what I will do. And then he goes on in our parsha. I've appeared to Avram, to Yitzhak, and to Yaakov. And I didn't reveal my name, but now yeah, I am going to reveal my name, and I'm going to take you out of Egypt. So the question is asked, 
God didn't answer Moshe's question. God is saying, okay, now it's going to be good, but Moshe is asking, why did you do bad? Moshe is asking yesterday, why did, why did the events of yesterday, why, was it, why are they so dark? And why did you increase the darkness? What does Hashem say? Now it's going to be good. Yeah, but that doesn't explain why do we need this extra darkness. And it lasted for a while. Then, you know, Moshe was sent back to Paro, and I, you know, it took a while, it took a few weeks maybe, or in the midst and within this period of time, it was excruciatingly dark and painful. So Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the holy, uh, the Balatanius, your site was last week, gives a fascinating answer. And he says that in order to exhale, you first need to inhale. Whenever you exhale and you're releasing energy, so if it's going to be a stronger and the more forceful the exhaling is going to be, for instance, if you want to blow up you want to blow a balloon or you want to inflate a tube, a swimming tube or a uh, beach ball or something like that, and you're going to blow forcefully, you have to first fill your lungs with air, take it in, and then you can go out. And the more out you want to go, the stronger you want to blow, the more the intake has to be, the deeper it has to go in first. Such is the system that God created in human life, and human life reflects divine methods as well, divine operation as well. So therefore, when God is going to exhale, a powerful blowing of, his, of himself, what is exhaling, what is blowing something up, you know, uh, uh, inflating something? You're taking your life force and you're infusing it into something else. God is going to infuse himself into the world by the redemption reveal godliness into this world, give the Torah to the world, the greatest of revelations, the greatest light, the greatest infusion, before there is such gilu yalakus, before there's such revelation, there has to first be an inhaling, which means taking all and even the little bit of revelation of divinity that's out in the world and causing it to retreat so that the world stays in a vacuum, the world stays in this deep, deep, darkness. But when you see such darkness coming upon your, your world and your existence, we ought to know, 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 know very well this means that light is coming. It's even in the natural phenomenon, you see it, we spoke about exhaling, and, but also we see it in nature, that when, you, uh, when there is a um, tsunami and there's a massive wave that comes, like was seen in the past tsunami that happened in Indonesia, the big one, that um, took the lives of about a quarter of a million people or more, one of the worst natural disasters in modern history. So you have people who have footage of it. Many people were vacationing in Sri Lanka and the places around there, and uh, they went out early morning to the beach, and the strangest thing was the um, water line with, a, with a, the tide like went all the way, all the way, all the way back. It receded. So much so that they're wondering what happened to the sea, what happened to the ocean. I mean, imagine waking up. You're, you're in a beach house for a week for vacation. You wake up one morning and there's no water there. You can't find the water. That's what it was like. It went all the way, all the way, all the way back. And so those who know the way this works, 
uh, were able to take that as a coup, they, as, a, as a sign, they better get out of there. If you ever find yourself on the beach and it's not just regular low tide, high tide, the water has like receded very, very far, that's a sign that the water is coming in so that it will go out. And it will go out commensurate to how much it went in. So when godliness is withdrawn from the world, and it seems like there's a godless world, know that God is going to be so visible and so powerful and so pronounced and so openly displayed like we've never seen it. Now it seems like a lot of darkness has taken over the world. It seems like people that are just doing whatever they want and they can get away with it have been, you know, thinking they will run the show and uh, completely drive God out of the world. I'm already watching. I'm already watching. Today already. The, the wonderful, wonderful peacemakers in the world, they're back at work. They were silent for four years. And amazing, these miracle peacemakers, Germany and France and the EU and, and Jordan, and all these incredible peacemakers that were so successful in making peace between Israel and the Palestinians for uh, all the time they had that they were running the show and didn't accomplish anything other than bloodshed and horrific misery. And in the last few four years when they were totally canceled, what did we see in the last couple of months? true, meaningful, genuine peace between so many of Israel and her Arab neighbors. Okay, yes, not with the Palestinians, but if you notice something else, until about a few weeks ago, for the past four years, it was very quiet in terms of terrorist attacks in Israel. Not, I mean, there was the flare-ups with Hamas, with Gaza, shooting rockets over at certain pockets of time. The regular horrible stabbings and shoot, this, all this stuff was almost obliterated. You hardly heard it. At least it wasn't in the news. In the last couple of weeks since uh, the elections here in the United States, when they smell weakness and they smell, that's when like the sharks attack when they see, when they see weakness, when they see blood. Um, that's what's scary, right? It scares us all. But you see already, today they're already beginning to hold meetings, they're setting up, they're getting back, they're getting back to work. So we see this is, this is, this is, this is a cesspool of, 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 of darkness which is brewing and, uh, you know, trying to make its way back onto center stage in ruling the world. I mean, the truth is, they've been kind of messing around with, with, with the world for a long time. The miracle was what, what happened the last four years, that there was a miraculous uh, you know, intervention, a divine intervention that stopped all this nonsense. But now it seems like it's all coming back worse than ever before, ferociously. So you got this deep, deep darkness. And it's going unchecked. That's the, that's the frightening thing. Unchecked. There's no one that can even interfere. 
And it feels very helpless. Literally does. Especially as the clock is ticking. So the thing we need to remember is, right before the brightest lights, right before the brightest moment, the lights go out completely. And they turn on again, much brighter than it has ever been before. And this is where we're standing right now. So it's an awesome time. Um, and you can say this whole idea in regards to 2020 in general, and as we spoke last week, that the real significance of the darkness is not even darkness. It's transcendental darkness. It's not, it's not the, the absence of light. It's really too much light, which is really... And even in this darkness that I was just talking about, over here too, I'm sure, it's too much light that we don't understand yet and appreciate yet how this is all going to be so, so stunningly godly, so stunningly Mashiach. Right? That's for sure. Now... Another element um, of this darkness is that the darkness provokes an outcry. In general, it says that earlier in the parsha, before the end, before Paro goes and, and, and adds to the decree to increase the, the, the workload in the labor camps, Earlier in the parsha, it also describes how <coughs> Paro uh, Paro ratcheted up his vicious decrees on the Jewish people. As Rashi says, he became ill and uh, he became sick, and he decided to bathe in in in. Of course, he was following the science. You see, you have to understand all of that. The scientists. The Khartoumi Mitzrayim, the scientists of Egypt, existed then and now as well. It's the same scientist. It doesn't, these things don't change. The big, big uh, health experts of the world, they told Paro at, at his time that, that in order to save you know, the government, uh, whatever, he needs to bathe in the blood of Jewish babies. And they justified it. Bring your babies, and if you protest, we'll shut you down. So you have no voice. What happened with the Jewish people in Egypt? Shut down. No voice. So, um, why and what happened right after there was this, this, this um, terrible addition to the suffering that caused the Jewish people to cry out? By Yitzhakum. When it hurts, you cry. They cry. And those piercing cries evoked the redemption. As the Torah says, right, right at that time, right after that, Moshe was going out to the burning bush, and God says to him, I've heard the cries of the Jewish people. So the added, the added agony added a certain dimension of a protest. Why it has to work this way? Why does God have to hear us cry in order for him to respond I'm not going into the theology of it and what's the explanation of it and so on and so forth. For two reasons. Right now, because I don't know. <laughs> and definitely it's not the content of tonight's class. Maybe you can research it. But for whatever reason, that seems like there is, there is that element. So in, in this last intensification of the work, 
it brought out the same thing. It brought out that Moshe comes out and storms the, the heavens above and cries out and says to God, Why have you done bad to the people? So what's the content of this week's parasha? God accepting Moshe Rabbeinu's cry, even though he's rebuking him, you know, because he's doubting God, but still there is an answer to his question. And what's the answer? The answer is the green light for the redemption. Moshe says, you sent me, but you didn't accomplish anything. The, 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 the exile is, is continuing. The, the redemption is stagnating. You did not save your people. And what does Hashem say? Say to the Jewish people, I am God. I will take you out. I will save you. And I will redeem you. And I will take you uh, to be, to be a, for me, for a people. So God is responding and sending the redemption because of the cry of Moshe Rabbeinu, who is really voicing the cry of all of the Jewish people. So what does that mean to us? With all the explanations that I'm giving you, why the darkness is allowed to be, that, doesn't ex- that does not tell us to say, okay, then let's just be quiet and accept all of this. We don't need any more darkness. We don't need any more of this mashagas. So we in our prayers have to storm the heavens every moment and cry, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't, I know, we, it's, 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 it's an interesting balance. We accept on the one hand, because we know God is doing and God is doing what's best. And we also know that what, it, what is being done is really a prelude to the redemption. So we don't lose faith. Not only don't we lose faith, we don't even lose our joy. But at the same time, we do the impossible. We have two, we have two opposite feelings in our hearts. We have the greatest frustration, upsetness, and pain and we cry out from pain, and at the same time, we feel joyful. Because we know that this is the beginning of what we've been waiting for for thousands of years. It's about to happen. And Tanya speaks about the, how you can have two complete opposite experiences in your heart simultaneously. And that's basically where we, where we are now. So we need to cry out. Now, the cry that Moshe Rabbeinu cried out then was that, um, what did he say? Because we're going to cry in the same cry that Moshe. We're going to use Moshe Rabbeinu's um, words. Moshe says to Hashem, um, Why have you done bad to your people? Why did you send me? This is the end of last week's Torah portion, the end of Shemos. From the time that I came to Pharaoh, to speak in your name, he did bad to your people. He did not save your people. So let's translate into current language. We're not going to Pharaoh. What does it mean? What are we saying to Hashem? Why, why have you done bad to your people? Why is the exile taking so long? Why, why, why the extra suffering? 
Can't we be done already with this corona? What's with this, what's, what's with this already? How many people are suffering in, in livelihood? How many people are suffering in health? How many people are suffering from loneliness? How many people are enough already? Right? And we have to, we have to cry enough. Without a cry, as we said it, we see the redemption requires us to bang the door nonstop. But the meaning of the second verse says the Rebbe, the Lubavitch Rebbe, Ma'azbasi al Paray, how it applies today. It means from when I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name. What does it mean in today's days to speak in your name? It's the beautiful understanding of these words as it can be conveyed in our. So the, the Rebbe says, from the time that we are speaking in your name, which means we are speaking thousands of years, God, we are speaking in your name. Moshe Rabbeinu that's speaking over here is, we know there's a spark of Moses. There's a spark of Moshe in each and every one of us. So the Rebbe says, the spark of Moshe Rabbeinu that's in each and every one of us, together with the Moshe Rabbeinu of the generation, which is the leader of the generation, cries out Hashem and says as follows, for 3,333 years, God, we're already, we're speaking in your name, what does that mean? All the Torah is God's name. Mitzvahs are Hashem's name. Every time you're doing a mitzvah, mitzvahs, mitzvahs really four letters. Mem, tzadik, yud, vav, hey. It's really yud, ke, vav, ke. Yud, hey, vav, ke. Because the letters mem and tzadik, which are the first two letters of mitzvah, are exchanged, the mem exchanges with the yud, and the tzaddik exchanges with the hay, because there is a system called atbash exchange system, where the first letter of the aleph bays and the last letter switches, an aleph with a tuf, a bays with a shin, so forth. So mem is the tenth letter from reverse, yud is the tenth letter from the front, the two can exchange, hay and tzaddik. So mitzvah is yud ke vav ke. So when you're doing a mitzvah, what you're really doing is you're doing a yud ke vav ke. You're expressing God in the world. When you're learning Torah, every word of Torah we're learning, it's the name of Hashem. So for 3,333 years, Jewish people are downloading godliness. L'daber bishmecho, we're speaking in your name. And as we spoke last week, we're downloading your crown. For 3,333 years, 300, and we, that's also very significant because we know that that's the power of tikkun. The whole point is that there is a state of chaos and within the chaos we bring tikkun. That's what the Jewish people are all about. Olam Hato is where the chaos happens and tikkun is where the rectification happens and the number of rectification is three. That's why everything about the Torah is three. We discussed it in earlier many classes how the Torah was given on the third day of the third month, um, the, through, the th uh, through the third person, um, in the family, Moshe, to the Jewish people that are a people of three. The Torah itself has three parts to it. Everything about the Torah is three because this is, the, this is the Tikkun. And since we've already been speaking in your name for 3,333 years, and we know what Maimonides tells us, that when one Jew does one good deed, he tips the scale. 
Rambam says a person should always look at the world as half virtuous and half guilty. And my action will decide it all. Sometimes we think of, hey, you know, it's a little thing. No one is, no one, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just not doing exactly what I should be doing. I'll tell a little lie. Or I'll, whatever, do a little cheat. So we say, so Rambam says, when you realize that you're, 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 your actions don't, are not only impacting you. And the person says, yeah, I know I'll, I'll, it's going to hurt me in the end, but you know, and I'm willing to, to forego on my, it's obviously always not, not, not a smart thing, but a person might say, you know, I'm forgoing on my own pleasure, my own status, I'm sorry, my own future goodness, because right now this is tempting me. I'm going to give in to my temptation for now, even though this is going to cause me problems later. But if I realize that I'm going to hurt other people, that not. And if you know that you're going to hurt the entire world, for sure not. So Ramam says that in order to be able to restrain yourself from doing something bad, you should think that your bad, one bad deed can tip the world on the negative side. And vice versa, in order to be inspired to, for goodness, you realize that one good deed can tip the entire world. And the Ramam's words are, you bring... Maybe Yeshua Vatsala, you bring salvation and a saving, literally, for the entire world. You save the world. Imagine if someone right now can come in and do something that would like save the entire situation. Get rid of all the darkness that's going on, right? Resolve. Suddenly tomorrow it's I mean, we don't want to bring it back to what was a few years ago. We want to bring to Mashiach. But, but let, for a moment, even just someone says, you know what, we're going to restore everything to how it was just a little while ago, get rid of all these craziness. So, wow, awesome. So now we're saying that what? This is, this, this is our argument to God. We've been doing this for 3,333 years, perfect amount of time to get it done with perfection. And still... This great Hatzalah that's supposed to come to the world, which the real Hatzalah means, the saving of the world is to send Mashiach. What's going on? Why are you... Why are you stagnating, God? That's our complaint. And guess what? If we say it sincerely and mean it, and it's coming from our heart, Hashem definitely answer us. And what's the answer? The answer is Mashiach. The answer is this week's parsha, the era of Ramel Yitzchak Vel Yaakov. This is the answer where God is answering us. He promises the four, the four um, expressions of redemption, in which to which we drink four cups of wine on Pesach by night, celebrating the redemption, connected to the four expressions of, of 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 of, uh, of redemption that Hashem says to us. In this week's parsha, so this is a very exciting parsha. Number one, because this is where we turn from exile to redemption, and then it starts f- further in the parsha. The plagues begin. We start, in other words, we begin the takedown of the evil forces of Pharaoh and the Egyptians until we break them completely. The actual breaking completely is in the next week's Torah portion, Parsha's bow 
But the, the weakening of Pharaoh, at the end of the parsha, Pharaoh is already, you know, calling himself wicked. He's acknowledging his wickedness and saying Hashem is right. He's not ready to send them out yet, but we're getting there already. He's softening already. Had God not strengthened his heart, he would have let them go a long time ago already. And that's, that, so that's where we're standing. So as we apply that to, 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 to the situation now, is that this is the turning point. Here is where the, 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 the good stuff start happening. And in a way, because last week, you know, as long as we can still explain that all the suffering and the dark stuff that are happening is really a higher darkness. It's too bright, that's why it's dark, but really it's good, it's not bad, and that was the content of last week's class. But that doesn't suffice, because after all, it's not good, we can't live forever in this, in this state that knowing that everything is really good, I just don't see it, so it's blessing in disguise. Blessings in disguise are maybe good for just for the moment of the delivery. Afterwards, we have to open up the package. The package has to be opened, and that's what this week's parsha is all about. Va'era, I have revealed myself. Revelation. Revelation to us that we can see it with our eyes. Not enough on some abstract, mystical, Kabbalistic level. It is wonderful. It is good. How are you doing? Kabbalistically, wonderfully. Mystically, wonderfully. No, but how are you doing? Miserable. That doesn't work. It has to come down here. That's what Mashiach is, is that it has to, has to manifest. It has to reveal itself in the tangible goodness. And for that, we're crying, and we want God's response. And we're getting Hashem's response. Now, someone, I mentioned this in today's daily video. Um, excuse me, um, those who listen to those, I'm making a little, <laughs> that I'm repeating, I just feel that these, some of them are, this was actually a gem someone sent me. And I repeated what I was shared with. Um, so um, a student of mine, Aaron, I mean student, he listens to these classes. So I guess he's a student. He was inspired by, by actually got involved with Yiddishkeit much more because of these classes online. I went to yeshiva now. So today in the morning he sends me because he's learning the Chumash and in the Chumash of the third reading of Parshas Ve'era, it says that Moshe Rabbeinu was 80 years old when he spoke to Paro. And the, the verse says explicitly that Moshe was 80 years old when he stood in front of Paro. Which is, by the way, it's not just random, just telling us how, his age, just for us to be able to, you know, it's important to know Moshe's age, but there's a deeper thing over here. Since Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who's going to introduce all the miracles and the revelation of God, which we discussed so many times, associated with number eight, because number eight is, as we discussed, transcendental energy. So 80, which is related to number eight, transcendental energy. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, when the Jewish people went out of Egypt, they went out in the year 57, I'm sorry, 2448, it was a year of eight. Today I saw, and I, it's, it's, it was so exciting, because I saw confirmation for two of the things that we spoke about in these classes so many times, and I kept on saying them, and I was saying them too now, mainly from my own, my own um, inspiration. Meaning, the concepts are all over Hasidic teaching. And the ideas, I'm not making, I'm not making anything up. The concepts are all there. But relating them particularly to the things that I was saying was, I love it when I find a source. And it's not just 
my, uh, my intuition. So from, from the year 57, 78, those who are following the classes the last four years, from the year 57, 78, we were talking over here in this class, I was talking about all about the power of number eight because eight is transcendental energy. And I was saying that all the prophecies of the future are all related to the word Uz, Uz Yashir Moshe. Uz is number eight, Aleph over seven, one over seven, one over seven, one. And um, it's interesting, and, and that year we had this incredible Moshiach here. I, I'm not taking any credit in the sense that I have any power. But I don't have any less power than, 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 than any Jew has power. Every Jew has power. And the way we make things work today's days, and this is something so important, the way we make things work these, these days is by speaking them. When we speak that things are good and they're going to get good and that redemption is coming, it happens because we have power. Why do we have power? Because God gave us power, especially to the Jewish people, and especially when we use Torah to say it, especially when we spread it on the internet. So it gets spread out to people across the world. It goes everywhere. It's put into the worldwide, now we see why it's called worldwide web, because this is a big web, but um, this worldwide pfft, it goes into the cosmos. You have the, the ability today's days to speak. Every one of us should be speaking. If you like the ideas you're hearing in this class, share. Share the class or share, share it verbally. Share it with your community, with your friends, with your people. The more we speak it, the more it happens. So that year, already, you, you can go back online, you see. On Hanukkah that year is when I got all super excited about number eight, that this year's 57, 7, 8, and 8 is on top of 7, and that's Hanukkah, eight days. And then bang, you know, we had the, the big miracle with Rubashkin being freed on the eighth day of Hanukkah, and Jerusalem was then declared by President Trump as the capital of Israel, the United Unified Capital of Israel. The Golan Heights was then announced in Purim that it's the, I mean, it was just fantastic. Trump pulled out of the Iran deal, which of course right now they can't wait to go back into. God forbid, Utsu Eitzavisufar, God is going to laugh at all their plans. It's all going to go, there's no way that this is, God forbid, taking place. Okay, again, I'm going to stare away from that. I'm, saying I'm not going to talk about the darkness. But all this amazing, it was such a Moshiach year, it was incredible. And all of this was leading up to the intensification of number eight that I, that I was talking about when we got to 5780. Because eight, it's the decade of eights. And 81, and 80, we're in the eights, we're in a whole different energy. So I was so excited today because today I found in the Rebbe's talks, in the year Tavshin Memches, on 
on the day of Zion Adar. You can look it up in Sefer Hasichis, in the Sefer of, 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 of uh, teachings, of, in Tavshem Memches and Zion Adar. So over there, suddenly there was a fascinating talk. It was so exciting because it, it, the, it, God, had, God has been nice to me today. He's been nice to me every day, but today was an extra special, nice moment in which he showed me, gave me confirmation on a lot of things that I've been saying, and I was always uncomfortable that I'm saying them on my own. And today he gave me confirmation. In one place, this was so amazing, in one place, I found confirmation to the two ideas, that Moshiach and all this connected to number eight, and particularly, I mean, that idea I've seen all over, but particularly to a year that ends with eight, that, 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 that's what I was looking for. And also to the significance of this year being 3,333 years since we went out of Egypt. These two ideas, to find these two gems together in the same place was just mind-blowing for me. So what does it say? Over there he brings that um, why is he speaking? Because that year... Tavshem Memches, which is 5748, uh, which that's in 1980, 1988. So in that year, the Rebbe then said, 33 years ago, the Rebbe then said that we have just reaching 3,300. And he says, because it's, there's so much that says about the significance of number 33. And he points to his father's letters. Now in his father's letters, it discusses this idea that I've been mentioning to you about this being Tikkun. Tikkun is the number of three. Lag Omer, the 33rd day. Ah, great stuff. But he says, why are we... And therefore we have to be super excited, he said, that we reached 3,300. That's the milestone of Torah and mitzvahs in the world. And it's an incredible ace <coughs> Ratzon for Mashiach. That's what he was talking about. But then he says, he goes into a whole question how the count needs to be. I'm not going to get into it, but does the count, should the count be in the year 5748 or should it really be in 5749, the 3,300 years? And he says, the reason why I'm, I'm looking to connect it to Tavshin Memches, which is 5748, because I'm excited. This is what he says. Because it's exciting that this year is a year of eight. And then he brings in the footnote, and eight is connected to Moshiach. And then in the footnote he brings, and he says, because when you take a look at the history of the Jewish people, you see that so many of the good things that happened to the Jewish people happened in a year of eight. Basically, he points... And he says, interesting, good and bad stuff. <laughs> but he then explains, because in the bad stuff were never really bad. They were the beginning of a, as we discuss all the time, the bad is really just a jump start for something really good. But that's why amazing transitions in Jewish people happened in, in, in the years of eight. He says, first of all, we went down to Egypt in a year that ended with the year of eight. 
We went out of Egypt and received the Torah in the year we went of eight. We went into the land of Israel in a year of eight. We built the first temple in a year of eight. The first temple was destroyed in a year concluding with number eight. The second temple was built in a year of number eight. And the second temple was destroyed in the year of number eight. And therefore he says, eight, 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 eight. It's un- that's, that's Mashiach's energy. Wow, that was such a confirmation. And to find in the same place that he's making the big, huge deal about 3,333. Now, in the year the Rebbe was talking, was 3,300. It wasn't 3,333. It was 3,300 because it was 33 years ago. And now it's 3,333. So it's even more than it was then. What is it more? So I found a gem of a gem. And again, I was planning to share all of this at the end of the class, but I'm, 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 I'm already jumping ahead of the gun, but oh, ahead of myself. So one of the things he says is great about 3,300 is that it's 33 times 100. Or he says, a hundred times 33. And he says that's very special. Because he says, a hundred represents Keser, the crown, which we've been talking about before. A hundred is a very high number. And 33 is a great number. So the fact that it's 3,300, 33 times a hundred, it's awesome. Or, and he says, or a hundred times 33. So why am I excited? So now, based on all of that, we know that 100 is a super number. But we also know that in Judaism, we pay more attention to the 101st. 101, a lot of people, when they want to give tzedakah, I see donations coming to Mayan. A lot of people don't give, if they send 100, they'll send $101. Why? Because in Hasidus, it explains, it's really based on the Talmudic statement. Talmud says that one who studies his Torah a hundred times, eh, not really serving God. The one who reviews his studies a hundred and one time, ooh, that's something. And the Alter Rebbe asks in Tanya, and I think this passage of Tanya is like the essence of the entire book of Tanya. That's why by divine providence, it's this Tanya that we study every year on the day of the Alter Rebbe's yard site in Chav Tevis, because it reflects what he stood for his entire life. And that is, he explains, that why we make such a big deal about 101, is because 100, when you're studying something 100, it's, it's, it's natural, it's consistent with nature. You like to, it's, it's a perfect number, so you like to work up to 100 times, you know, I do 100 push-ups. I'll learn, I review 100 times. He says in those days, they would learn things 100 times, so they shouldn't forget it. I'll learn 101 the one time more, that's already, you have to break yourself. And once you break yourself, the breaking of yourself basically means you're overriding your, 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 your own self, you're getting out of your comfort zone. That's when you're entering into the infinite because you're creating space for the infinite. Like this, if you're, you're locked in the rigidity of your existence, if you're doing something which you're used to doing, the moment you break out of what you're used to, what you're accustomed to, out of your natural zone, you become a conduit to the infinite. So as great as 33 times 100 is, 
or rather 100 times 33 is, now it's 101 times 33. In addition to all the other ideas that we spoke about, how 333 represents perfect tikkun, here there's another idea. It's a 101 times 33, which is real. The real infinity comes in, as we're going to discuss in this class today. All, whatever I'm saying now is all introduction to the class. We didn't even start the class yet. Um, in in, in the, the main theme of this today's class, which the theme of today's class is number 11. The reason why the theme of the class is number 11 is because we are now going to welcome in the 11th month of this, of this amazing year. The truth is it's not the 11th month of the year 5781 because we're part of these, because the, 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 11, the months of the Jewish calendar start in Nisan. So Shvat is the 11th, but it's a combination of 80 and 81. Oi! I totally forgot, I'm sorry, see, my head is getting off, I'm getting off track. Let me go back. So we were just mentioning that Moshe Rabbeinu was 80 years old when he stood before Paro. That's what we were talking about, right? So this fellow in Israel sends me and he asks me, well, hold it, if he stood before Paro when he was 80 years old, that means that when he actually took the Jewish people out of Egypt, the actual redemption itself happened when he was 81. He asked me, is that true? I said, yeah, why? How do we know that? Because Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday is in Adar. So if Moshe was 80, he had to be any time after his 80th birthday, which is from the month of Adar and forward. So when he's going to speak to Barah the first time, it was either in Adar when he just hit 80, or in Nisan, or in Iyar, or in Sivan, whatever. Now when did he take the Jewish people out of Egypt? He, the exodus happened in the month of Nisan, as we all know. So if Moshe is standing in front of Paro, and he's already 80, when he starts, goes to Paro for the first time, and he's already 80, we know that the, the plagues took a couple of months. It actually says every plague was a full month. He, Moshe warns him for three weeks. And then the fourth week is when the plague came. So the 10 plagues took at least 10 months. So if Moshe is 80 years old when he's standing in front of Paro, if his birthday Moshe would have been in the month of Iyar, you can say that he's, he became 80 in Iyar. He went to Paro in the month of Iyar, which is the second month of the year. And by the time next, by the time he took the Jewish people out, was still in his 80 before he became 81. But now you can't say so because if it's in the month of Adar, that's when his, and he's already 80 when he goes the first time. So it couldn't be that the Exodus happened that Nisan. The Exodus happened the following Nisan. So Moshe was 81. So what was he excited about? He was said, well. Isn't this awesome that this is the year that's 5780 and 50, now we went flipped over into 81. And then what happened in 80 when Moshe was 80 years old, that's when he started bringing the plagues on Pharaoh. Well, what has been going on in 5780? This massive plague has come on the world. And uh, we know that the end result, I don't know what we're aware, I'm not happy about the plague. It's a plague, it's horrible. But we know the end result of this is going to be Mashiach. That's for sure. There's no question on this. So therefore, this plague, together with many of the other plagues that were going on throughout the entire summer and all the chaos and cuckoo-ness and craziness that's been going on, that belongs to 5780 when Moshe is 80. 
When Moshe turns 81, what happens? The Exodus. And the big plague in which he smites the firstborn. And before the firstborn were, bitten, were, were, were uh, plagued, they went on a campaign and there was almost, and Mitzrayim kind of experienced a mini civil war. God should protect us that we shouldn't have over here a civil war in the United States of America, but the, the soil is, uh, the, the atmosphere feels like, uh, you know, that Hashem uh, should protect, that all this should go down in kindness and in mercy, but all this is connected to the year of 81 of Moshe. So it's really the Parsha coming alive. 5781 is a powerful time. And it's consistent with Moshe Rabbeinu, the power of the Redeemer, from 80 to 81. Okay. Now, um, what is the essence, the essence of the Parsha? Before we start speaking about the Shvat, which we're going to see that the month of Shvat and Parsha's Ve'era, which Parsha's Ve'era usually is the week, which either is in already in the month of Shvat, like this week, this year, because this year... Parshas Ve'er is going to be on the third day of Shvat. Gimel Shvat. Um, or Shabbos Ve'er is Mavarchem Chaydeh Shvat. We bless the month of Shvat. It can be either, either, but it's always related to the month of Shvat. So we're going to see a deep connection between Ve'er and the month of Shvat. But let's for a moment look at... So what's the theme of Ve'er? The theme of this week's Parsha is that the work that was necessary to be done in order to bring the redemption was completed. In the, and now we transition from the, from the exile to redemption. From whatever needed to be accomplished pre-redemption was done, and now we move to redemption. That's the theme of the beginning of Eira, and the rest of the Eira is actually the beginning of the redemption. But the beginning of Eira says that now Hashem receives Moshe's cry. He agrees to Moshe Rabbeinu, yes, I haven't saved the people, but I am going to do it now. Now, that's, now what was the work then? When we went in Egypt, the work was some kind of a refinery. The labor itself refined the Jewish people and caused a certain refinement in the world as well. The hardships that they've been through. And then that moved us to the next stage that the Jews were able to go into the land of Israel. Now interesting, if you look at the, before we apply it to, the, to this redemption, because the Torah has to be learned as an instruction for now, not just a recording of what happened then. So before we go into its application right now, let's take a look at, at its... Um, let's understand the, the mechanics over here of, of all the details. So you have Moshe Rabbeinu crying out to God. You have God's promise that tell the Jewish people I will... I will save them, I will, I will take them out, I will redeem them, I will take them to me as, for, for me as a people. Right? The promise of redemption. 
But before that, God somehow is busy with his names. He says, I, I revealed myself to the fathers with my name, Kel Shakai, but my name, which is one of the names of God, but my deeper name, my name, Yudke Vavke, the Tetragrammaton, that has not been revealed to the forefathers. Tell the Jewish people, I am God. And then, after they know I am God, then what can happen next? They can be redeemed. And here are the four, the four expressions of redemption. So what is this meaning of tell the Jewish people I am God? So the Hasidic masters explain, before God will actually bring us into the Holy Land, bring us, again, he's, there's, there's two things. He's taking us out of Egypt and bringing us. The, the intention is to plant the Jewish people in the Holy Land, in the Promised Land. But there has to be something in the middle to enable that. And that is they need to know I am God. They need to know me. Ani Hashem. And the knowing of Hashem that we're talking about over here is more than seeing God through all the miracles. It's the, it's the major stop that they made at Sinai. At Har Sinai where God downloaded the Torah. Hashem gave them the Torah at Har Sinai. And through, I mean, I shouldn't use the word downloaded. He gave them the Torah face to face. The reason I'm saying he downloaded is because contained within the Torah was the downloading of his name. Because as we spoke earlier, in every one of the mitzvahs, in every element of Torah, it's all God's names. So, and we see the first opening verse of the giving of the Torah is, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am God, your God. So, Lecha Yisrael, tell the Jewish people, Ani Hashem, and that Vyadaitan, they will know Ki Ani Hashem, that I am God. That is the, um, that is the event at, at Har Sinai. That is the event at Sinai when God gives us the Torah. And that was a prerequisite for the Jewish people being able to go into the land of Israel. Why was it a prerequisite for us to go into the land of Israel? You see, the point of the Jewish people going into the land of Israel is not just so that Jews are in Israel. Jews are in Egypt. Okay, stop the tormentors. Throw, overthrow, you know, uh, replace the government. Bring back Joseph or someone like him who does remember Joseph. And restore the Jewish people to the stature they had at the beginning and everything will be nice. The land of Egypt is not a bad land. No, God says, I'm bringing to the land that flows milk and honey. The Canaan land. What was so important about that? The objective is not that the Jewish people should live in the Canaan land. The objective is that the Jewish people should make the Canaan land, the land of Canaan, they should turn it into the Jewish land. That means that the land itself becomes a Jewish land. It becomes a holy land. It becomes a land, a material existence that expresses the divine. And it's not meant to be only the land of Israel. Through and via the possession of the land of Israel, eventually the entire world becomes a Jewish world, a holy world. 
I don't mean a Jewish world that everybody converts to Judaism. Absolutely not. After the Mashiach comes, they won't even accept converts anymore. So it's not about converting. Jewish means God, godly conscious with a higher morality and a higher ethics and a spiritual life where the spirit and the, and the physical are completely merged together. That, that's the Jewish life. The holy life, the godly life. So Jews going into the land of Israel meant to infuse their Jewishness into the land, their godliness into the land. And from there, eventually, the entire world. So there is no point for the Jews going to the land if they don't have the instruments in which to convert the land into a Jewish land. If they will not have the Torah, then even though they will go into the land, they will be Jews living in a Canaan land. That's not the purpose. The purpose is that the land should become a godly land, a Jewish land. So they have to stop at Har Sinai, load up with the equipment they need, load up with the teachings they need, with the godly energy that they need. A little deeper than what I just said. Inherently, you can't make earthiness, land, physical, holy. Physicality, the material, is essentially, the way God created it, essentially blocked from holiness. It was a decree that God made when he created the world that the upper realms are sensitive to holiness, receptive to holiness. The lower realms are coarse and are inhospitable and uninviting to anything godly and holy, are rebellious. That's the way God made the lower, the lower realms. The nature of the lower world is a state of disconnect. And that's a divine decree. And therefore there was nothing in the world the Jews can do. If they would go into the land, there would still be a separation, between, even though they're a holy people. There would be a separation between their holiness and the land. It wouldn't go over. It wouldn't be a crossover. It wouldn't connect. It would remain two separate entities. And that would mean for the rest of the world that the rest of the world will also remain unholy. In order for them to be able to have the impact they need to have, they needed to go to Har Sinai, receive the Torah. The giving of the Torah was God breaking that barrier. It was Hashem tearing down the wall. The separation, the partition that separated the upper from the lower. Once that happened by the giving of the Torah, and that's the meaning, you will know that I am God. It's the, it's the revelation of Hashem down here below, not just in our soul, but even in our bodies. And therefore, when we're doing mitzvahs, we have the ability to sanctify the body. Now, such Jews that have this empowerment and this ability, and a world that doesn't have any more that barrier, is ripe and ready to become a Jewish land and eventually a Jewish world. And that's the significance of, that's the meaning of the content of this amazing Torah portion that we read this week. What is the content? Whatever pre-purifications you needed to do 
before all of this happened. See, Egypt was a purification that was just a cleansing that needed to happen, so you'll be ready for this. That is done. It was completed with, the, and how did it end with the cry? Enough. We needed to cry, and God hears that, hears that cry. We and Moshe cry out. God hears that cry, and he says, okay, done with that. Now we're ready for the next phase. Receive the Torah, go into the land. Now, fast forward, 3,333 years. What is the content of Parshas Ve'era today? Now we're holding at the completion of the job. We've made the entire world hospitable for God through the Torah and the mitzvahs. We spread Hashem's name across the entire world, refining, elevating, revealing the spark of holiness that's in every object, in every far-flung corner in the universe. So our exile, Mitzrayim, is different than, because their exile in Egypt was pre-Torah. It was just a purification, a cleansing in them, but it wasn't a real rectification for the world. Our exile was, in a sense, to help us spread the Torah from the land of Israel through the entire world. But that's all still in the exile in which we do the work in the dark. And then what? Now we're ready for the next, re to the final redemption. And what's the final redemption? The final redemption is that after the entire world has become sensitized, refined, and elevated, for what? For God to move in. So now God builds the third temple, and he finally moves into this world forever and ever. So just like in Parshas Ve'era, in the first redemption, the, 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 the theme of the Parsha is that the phase, one phase has ended, and now you're ready for the next thing, which is entering the land. We today are also ready to enter the land. To enter the land and build the temple and receive already the reward for all the work that we've done, and what's the reward? I mean, the reward over here is the content of the work, building him a home, and he, the reward is him accepting that and moving into the house, moving into the home that we built for him and revealing himself. What is the theme of the Parsha then? We complain to God, we cry out to God, as we said earlier, we've been doing this work, we've been speaking in your name, mitzvahs and doing, and you still didn't, which means we, we've been doing all the work that is necessary. You still didn't save your people. You wouldn't end the exile. And, and, but God hears that from us. And the Abishta says, okay, done. We're ready. We are ready. That's the theme of the Parsha. We're ready for complete revelation. So now let's take a look at the month of Shvat and see that the month of Shvat is exactly the same idea. It's coming to us, it's coming for, in a good way for us on Thursday. What does the Torah tell us about the month of Shvat? Well, not about every month do we have a description in the Torah of something that happened in that month, at least not in Chumash. The month of Shvat, and actually Rosh Chodesh Shvat is an explicit date 
that is mentioned in the Torah for something very special. Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to the Jewish people. I'm going to go get another Chumash because the Chumash that I have is only Shemos. I want to get a Chumash. You know, it's in the Siddur as well. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to the Jewish people, this is in the end of the 40 years. In the beginning of the fifth book of the Torah. It was in the 40 years, on the 11th month, in the first day of the month. Moshe speaks to the Jewish people. Everything that God commanded him. So the Torah is specifically speaking about Moshe speaking to the Jewish people. A major event happens when 40 years have come to an end after the Jewish people sojourned in the desert. And it's the 11th month, which is the month of Shvat. That's Rosh Chodesh Shvat. Moshe Rabbeinu is making a statement. What is he saying? These are the words that God spoke. Meaning, on a deeper level, what does it mean? We're done teaching the Torah. The real reason the Jewish people, as we said earlier, went to the desert to the begin with, was to stop and pick up the Torah. Now, it was supposed to be just a, a quick download, and then they'll go right into the land of Israel. That was the plan. It didn't work out too well because of certain things, and they ended up spending 40 years in the desert. Actually, it worked out really well that they stayed there 40 years. Because it takes, the Talmud says, it takes 40 years for a person to assimilate a teaching. To really get what your teacher is teaching you it takes 40 years of being a student then you really get it. So this is, God is their teacher, and the Jewish people are being taught a holy, godly existence. Definitely, 40 years. Now that the 40 years is over, Moshe is now speaking to the Jewish people. Now, before, one of the things we have to remember, we know that there's a difference between the four books of the Torah and the fifth. The fifth book of the Torah is called the Mishnah Torah. It's just a review. The four books is really the, the entire content of the Torah is really the divine communication is in the four books. Sages say the fifth book, Moshe said it on his own. Now it doesn't mean on his own, he was making it up. There's a lot of mitzvahs that we don't even know about until the fifth book. But, first of all, even those mitzvahs that are not mentioned earlier were said earlier, even though if it's not stated earlier. Because Mishnah Torah, Moshe is only repeating what happened before, what they learned before. Secondly, even that was through Ruach HaKodesh, through divine inspiration, but it was not God speaking directly through him. It wasn't Hashem speaking, it was him with, ins with divine inspiration speaking, but it was Moshe. It was processed through Moshe's mind, through his understanding, other than Moshe just being a channel and a conduit. Now it was far more integrated into Moshe's psyche. Okay? So Moshe is basically saying to the Jewish people, this that we needed to come to the desert to receive that incredible godly empowerment and enlightened teaching and instruction, that phase is now done. 
And now what? Now is a turning point. Now, what does he say in the next Pasuk? A few Pasukim later. Hashem Alekeinu Dibir that God spoke to us, it's enough for you to sit Bahar on the mountain. In other words, you've done already. Even though Moshe Rabbeinu, the truth is, if you're looking into the Pshat of the Pesukim, and the simple meaning, Moshe is repeating what happened right after they received the Torah. They spent one year, a little, a little less than a year, ten days less than a year at Har Sinai. And then they were supposed to go into Israel, and God told them, you sat already enough at the mountain. In other words, you completed already your receiving of the Torah. Now you can go up and conquer the land. So this was Moshe telling them what happened 39 years earlier, or 38 years earlier. However, however, as we, as we just said, and that was before the sin, for whatever reason, that commandment didn't materialize that they should go conquer the land because something happened before and God decreed we're making a round going back. But as we just mentioned earlier, that actually that, that extra 40, 39 years or 38 years in the desert or was actually to their benefit so that they can really integrate it and assimilate it into their understanding. It shouldn't just be a mystical teaching from above, but it would be something that they completely identify with, they become one with. Now they have it absorbed in a much better way, in a much stronger way. Now they can go into the land. So what is Moshe saying? The time has come. Pnu, turn around, the and travel. Uboyu Haramari, come into the mountains of the Emirates, and to all its neighbors. Barava, Bahor, Bashvela, on the highlands and the lowlands, Banegev in the south, Ubachoifayam on the beaches, conquer the land, it's all there for you. When does Moshe Rabbeinu say, we completed the task of receiving the Torah, and now we're ready to go into the land of Israel to take possession of the land on Rosh Chodesh Shvat. So now fast forward 3,300, not 33, because from when Moshe said this, it's 40 years later. So uh, what is it? 3,900. What am I saying? 3,033 years before 3,333. So it would be 3,293 years ago, or something like that. Can't expect my, my head uh, to be working too well at this time. Something like, whatever. Moshe, now that this time has passed, we are now, and we're standing at the threshold of the redemption, and it's coming Chodesh Shvat this year, so what happens in the month of Shvat this Thursday? Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to the Jewish people again. And what are we being told? Because it's again, whenever something happened on a certain day, that day was imbued with that power. And especially in a year like this, and, and, and there are certain times when that energy is more accessible. So in a, in a period of time, as we spoke, that this year is from all directions so perfectly aligned with the redemption, so this time, in on Chodesh Shvat, we stand exactly at that same transition point. But here it's a little different. Not that you finished receiving the Torah 
so you can go and into the land of Israel, so that you can be begin the process of making earth holy. Now it's a whole different story. Now it's Moshe Rabbeinu saying, you've spent enough time applying the Torah to the world, elevating sparks, purifying all of the world, beginning with the land of Israel and extending it throughout the diaspora globally across the entire world. You've spent enough time doing that. Now is the time to actually go for the prize. Now is the time to actually go back to the land of Israel of all the Jewish people to have what we call kibbutz kolios, the gathering of the exiles, the building of the temple, and the revelation of Hashem Echod, of God in the world. That's the Rosh Chodesh Shvat announcement. And I'm not making this up by myself. The Rebbe said this in 5750. The Rebbe said in Rosh Chodesh Shvat, Moshe Rabbeinu of our generation tells the Jewish people. And again, if the Rebbe said it 5750, this only gets stronger every month of Shvat, stronger and stronger and stronger, that Moshe Rabbeinu tells us. The work is over. The fixing is over. We've corrected everything that needs to be corrected already. We've separated the good from the bad, as we can see in the world now. There's such clear vision of what we can see. Everything has been separated. Everything has been purified. Everything is ready for the redemption. And what are we needed now? Bo haram come take possession of the land. Meaning in this case, re-enter the land of Israel, but this time for the complete ge'ula shalema, for the revelation of Hashem. Comes out that Parshas Ve'era and Shvat and Rosh Chodesh Shvat have the same theme and the same idea. This is a turning point. A turning point from what was to a new, brighter moment. The month of Shvat, we stand ready. Rosh Chodesh Shvat. Now, in Shvat itself, There is, of course, the day that we're talking about, Rosh Chodesh Shvat. And then there is, people are familiar with the day of the 15th of Shvat, known as Tu Bishvat or Chamesh Asa Bishvat, the 15th of Shvat. And then there is another day in Shvat, which is the towering day of the, of the day of Shvat. It is the day that really, really is the crown jewel of the month of Shvat. And it's a day that was only re revealed recently. Recently meaning in 70 years ago. It's now 71 years ago and then 70 years ago. And that is the day of the 10th of Shvat. What's the 10th of Shvat? 10th of Shvat is the day the previous Chabad Rebbe passed away. And the successor, the Rebbe, took the mantle of leadership. Said his famous discourse, I've come to my garden. 
which reintroduces that this is the seventh generation of Chabad Hasidism, of the work, the final work of channeling godliness into the world and elevating the world, the final work of bringing the Shekhinah down into this world again, which is completed by the seventh generation. Now that seventh generation has reached the completion of 70 years of leadership. This tenth of Shvat. Now first of all, how do we know? Okay, I'm sure many other nice things happened in the month of Shvat. So people will accuse me and they'll say, you're a Lubavitcher. So, <laughs> so you're making a big deal, Tafka, about the Rebbe. So let's take a look in the Torah and see what is the Torah, which day of Shvatas is, can we see in the Torah, is the day that is what Shvat is all about, the month of Shvat. Well, we know that every month of the Torah, every month every, in the Jewish calendar, has a special name of God which is the spiritual energy of that month. It's all the, the, the one name of Hashem, the yud K vav K, the four letters of God's name. But the four letters of God's name can be arranged in different ways. There are 12 permutations, 12 various different combinations of the name of, the, of, of Hashem's name, of the four letters of God's name. These 12, each one dominates in another one of the months. The Arizal, or maybe even Kabbalists before the Ari, but I think it's from the Ariz, maybe the Ramak, I'm not exactly sure, reveals to us the spiritual dynamics of every month. And in each case, the name that, and those who are more mystically attuned and... Uh, when they pray, have various different meditations on Kabbalistic permutations and names, um, have this intention when you daven Shmona Esrei on Musaf of Rosh Chodesh, the added prayer of Musaf on Rosh Chodesh, you're supposed to have this in mind when you're uh, praying for the new month or when you're channeling the energy of the new month on Rosh Chodesh. The it comes from the letters that are, um, it's, th now, this name has to say somewhere. It's not just you take the four letters, you scramble them this way, you scramble them that way. The Torah has to scramble them. So that's what it is. The Holy Ari sh shows where you have these 12 permutations mentioned in a code throughout the Torah. And it's showing up in sometimes the most strangest of places. And he says, this one is the month of Nisan. This one is the way the letters are in the month of Iyar. I can't see it. I don't think you can see it. I don't know who's in my audience. Maybe we got some very big tzaddikim with very bright eyes. Um, but the Holy Ari had, 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 had open eyes. And he can see the energy of the month. He can see the, the order of God's letters and where it comes from. So he says, the letters of the month of Shvat are hinted to in 
So first of all, what is the permutation of the month of Shvat? Um, The permutation of the month of Shvat is Vav Hey No, one second. See, I, I should have gotten the chumash. Don't make it, things easier. Give me a second here. This time of night, my brain is half asleep. Okay. Oh, it's the end of Sefer Vayikra. Parshas Bechu Koisai. Vav hey, that's what it is. Hey, because in God's name there's two hey's and there's a yud and a vav. So first the hey, then the yud, which is the opposite order, because usually it's yud k. Here it's hey yud. Vav and hey. So the vav and the hey remains the right in the in the direct in the right order, because that's the way it is. Yud k vav k. So the vav and the k stay the same, but the yud and the k are flipped together. Hey, are flipped over. Hey yud, and where does it come from? Perik in in, in Sefer Vayikra, Perik Chav Zayin, Pasuk Lamed Gimel, Hamer Yemirenu Vahayahu. Okay, Hamer Yemirenu Vahayahu, just talking about um, that. It's talking about tithing animals, okay? Actually, we're learning the same, these halachas we're learning in Rambam now, literally right now, so it's an interesting connection. Doesn't have to happen this way. So in, in Rambam that we learn, or in, in the, in, I'm sorry, in the Pasuk that it says over here, there's a mitzvah that you're supposed to tithe the, the, your animals as well. All the newborn animals that were born in the year need to be tithed. The way you tithe them is that you put them into a pen, make a small little opening and you'll let the animals out of the pen and every tenth one gets marked with a with a you, know, you have a stick that has a little red dye on it paint on it and you touch it down on the animal and that's how the animal gets a little red paint you know all those that are painted red these are the tenth ones and they are holy so the pasuk says you're not allowed to inspect if it's nice one let's say you want to give only beautiful animals for god well the opposite you want to give not the best animals 
depends if you're rooted in Kayan or you're rooted in Hevel. You know, Hevel wanted to give her the best. Kayan was not interested in giving her the best. In any case, either way, you can't inspect. It's random. Whichever is the tenth one that's going to happen automatically. Rambam says, we saw this halacha yesterday. How would they do it? Put the animals in a pen and put the mommies, the, mom, the, 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 the mothers of the animals outside of the pen. And the mothers call the children. They'll make noise. And the children care the mother. And the children come running. The little new, uh, new, new shepsalach, the little sheep. And as they come running through the pen, you, uh, you mark the tenth one. So the Pasuk says, You're not allowed to inspect good or bad. You can't exchange it. And if you will make an exchange, it and its exchange will be holy. So from the words, in these four words, an exchange you will exchange, and it will be, from there you have the, the four letters that the Holy Ari says spells God's name, which dominates the month of Shvat. Okay. So if here in these verses is the secret of the name of the month of Shvat, we should probably find Shvat, even though the names of the Torah, like the Torah refers to the month of Shvat, the Torah refers to it as the 11th month. The Torah doesn't call it Shvat. Because the names of the months only came to the Jewish people later when they came out of the Babylonian exile. That's when they came up with these names. Earlier they would name the months just based on numbered. First month, second month. Nisan was the first. The name Nisan, Iyar, this all came later. But yet, we know everything is by divine providence and everything is, even if it's not stated explicitly in the Torah, it's hidden in the Torah. So we have to say that if the, God's name is hidden over here, coded over here, the code must also probably tell us the name of the, not must, but should. And if it does, if we, it, let me put it this way, it must, but not always we see it. Over here we actually can see it. In the verse right before that, in the same subject, it mentions the word shvat. What does it say? It says that when you tithe the animals, as we mentioned earlier, every animal that goes, passes beneath the shavit. Shavit is like a, a little whip or a little um, stick. As we said earlier, you count and then you put down, they all go under the, under, and you tap only the tenth one as you're counting. But each one that passes under the shavit, under the, the, the stick, will be holy. What does it say? So the word stick, staff, is the word shavit. Shavit is shvat. So here you have the month of shvat right together with, encoded with the acronym of the month of shvat. But what does it say regarding the month of Shvat? It says everything that will pass under Shvat, that means all the events that will happen, all the tzaddikim that will pass away, all the things that will happen, how do you know that? all the art sites, everything that's going to go under, Yavar Ocho means pass, which can also mean passing away. Ha'asiri, the tenth one, meaning the one that passes away on the tenth day of Shvat, yeah, Kodesh, that's the holy one. That means there's a lot of holy tzaddikim, I'm not saying. But the, 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 the one that captures the essence of the month is Yud Shvat, 
the 10th day of Shvat. That's going to be marked forever in Jewish history as a, the noticeable day. And that today is the energy of the generation. The energy of the last and final generation. And the first generation, the, as the Rebbe refers to the generation, the last generation of the exile, the first generation of the Golas, will get all their energy and all their life force from the 10th day of Shvat. So here you have the 10th day of Shvat in it. Now, what does it say about the 10th day of Shvat? It says the 10th day, Asiri Kodesh, the 10th is holy. This is not just a sign about the calendar day, the 10th day of Shvat, that it's a very holy day. And again, it dominates the month of Shvat. The towering, the towering event of the month of Shvat is the passing of the previous Rebbe and the inauguration of his son-in-law, the seventh Rebbe. But there is a very deep message about the tenth being holy. This actually explains the why and the, and the, and the content of this day. The content of the, 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 the power of the significance of the day is hinted to in the very idea that the tenth is holy. What does that have to do? See, number 10 and number 11, again, so we're talking about the 10th day in the 11th month. So both 10 and 11 are numbers very deeply associated with Mashiach. I knew you're going to, I have to laugh when I'm saying, I'm laughing at myself. Why am I laughing at myself? Because <laughs> those that are listening to my classes will say, hey, hold it. You told us number three is associated with Mashiach. Then you told us that number five and number seven is a Mashiach number. Then number eight is the Mashiach number. Then number nine is like the most Mashiach number because that's the Geula. Mashiach is, is related to the letter Tzaddik and 90. And, and now you're going to sell us number 10 is related to the Mashiach. And number 11. Yes. Number 10 and number 11. And I'm going to... The sages say many things regarding Mashiach's coming which is going to be in a state of 10. When Mashiach comes we're going to have a harp that the sages refer to both as a harp, the harp, the musical instrument, the, the, the instrument playing music in the Holy Temple, or that King David played. It, it used to be, and that's the way a harp is, out of seven strands, and now it's going to be, when Mashiach comes, out of eight, and also out of ten. As, as, it's, as it says in Tehillim and Psalms, Ale Asar on a ten-string um, musical instrument. So it says the, the sheer, the song of the future, is a song with ten notes. Not seven. Now we only have seven notes. Ten notes. We also spoke this many times that when the Jewish people are going to go into the land of Israel, when Mashiach comes, we're not just going to have a land of seven nations, we're going to have a land of ten nations. When Mashiach will come, we're going to sing. We find in the Torah that the Jewish people sang at certain times, we sang a collective song, a shira. Beginning with Az Yashir Moshe, when we left Egypt, Moshe sang with the Jewish people. So we have these various different songs sung throughout history. Devorah sang a song, the Devorah, the prophetess. Hannah sang a song. King David sings a song. Solomon sings a song, Shir Hashirim. 
Jewish people sing a song later again when the Be'er, there's different songs. But it's altogether nine songs, the Medrash says. The tenth one will be the song we will sing together with Mashiach Tzadkeinu, when the entire world will sing. That's going to be the greatest of all songs. Shira Asir. The Jewish people are also going to have a census, a count. We were counted nine times. When Mashiach comes, we're going to be counted the tenth time. So I guess by now you get that number ten is very much associated with the perfection of Mashiach. You realize every number that we're associating with Mashiach is because Mashiach has many facets to it. And because of this facet, it's this number. Because of that facet, it's that number. The tenth day of Shvat, number ten, is because this day is associated with the Giyula. It's associated with the coming of Mashiach. We know about the previous Chabad Rebbe is that the entire Chabad frenzy with Mashiach primarily started with him. During the Second World War, the previous Rebbe started a very big commotion that we are very close to the redemption. But he made it, he said a little condition. He said, instant tshuva, instant redemption. That was his message. Instant tshuva, instant redemption. And it was very, un, it was, he did it in a way that was very loud and very strong and went out there and made a lot of Jews very uncomfortable. This Mashiach talk. But he was the one who brought Chabad into this Mashiach state. Now it didn't happen then. First of all, we know we discussed all the Mashiach as a process. But there at least there was a condition where it was the alta la tshuva, you have to tshuva, to instant tshuva, repentance will bring the guilt. Our Rebbe already said that we've done that already, so now there's no excuses. The tshuva was done, now Mashiach just has to come because he has to come. Why didn't he come? I ask and you ask, and let's all ask together, Ebershter, right now, let's ask, why didn't he come yet? Why, why, why are we still waiting? It doesn't make any sense. How many classes do we have to give about the same thing that he's supposed to come, 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 then come? So we're supposed to ask, and I'm asking. And I'm sure you're asking well while you're listening to the shir. We're asking all together, Hashem, why are we still waiting? But in any case, the previous Rebbe, whose yard side, now let's understand something. The yard side of a person is the day where it, this is the day that, that, that all of his life work comes together in a powerful, a powerful display. Because you know that it's like when a person passes away, everybody then suddenly like, you know, notices that who they were and the contributions that they made. By a tzaddik, it's very powerful. So if a tzaddik passes away on the tenth day, he lived very, very much and again was driving the giyula, which the giyula, as we spoke earlier, the redemption associated with number ten. His name, Yosef Yitzchak. Both the words of his name, which are both related to Moshiach, as the Rebbe pointed out many times, that his father-in-law's name are very, very strong names associated with the Giyula. One is the name Yosef. Yosef was the first, by the way, was the first tzaddik who, who gives the Jewish people the, the actual code of the redemption. He says to the Jewish people that, Pakoid Yifkod Elohim Eschem, God is going to remember you. You should take my bones out. Yaakov was actually the first one who said it, but Yosef also said it. He's carrying, channeling that, that power of redemption. 
but also the Medrash says that the word Yosef is on the Pasuk it says Yosef Hashem Sheinis Yadai that God and the Medrash connects the name Yosef to that that it's a promise that says in the, in the prophets that God is going to again stretch out his hand to take the Jewish people out of exile first of all again meaning the final redemption so you see the name Yosef is associated with the final redemption we also know the concept of Mashiach ben Yosef that there is even though Mashiach is Mashiach ben David but it's associated with Yosef as well and then Yitzchak, laughter, we discussed many times that the Yitzchak is the main one of our forefathers who's going to dominate. From all of our forefathers, the, ones, the most notable after the redemption is Yitzchak. Yitzchak is laughter, and the laughter, when is going to be laughter? When Mashiach will come, everybody will laugh. Our mouths will be filled with laughter. The previous Rebbe's name is Yosef Yitzchak. Now take note, both of his names start with the letter Yud, which the letter Yud is 10. Now what I didn't, what I saw today in a, in a talk, again today I found some really amazing gems. So I saw in the, one of the Rebbe's talks, and this talk that I'm actually taking this from, he brings, he says, Leheir, to, to take note, he says, my father-in-law's signature, only in the last year of his life, he signed his name, with the second yud of the word, there's two, there's two yuds, Yosef and Yitzchak. The second yud, he wrote the yud down, not like you would write a regular yud. The yud generally, if you're writing, not fancy, you're not writing Torah letters, you're writing a, a signature. A yud is a tiny little, almost a dot, just a little, a little, a little more than a dot, a small little, uh, you know, uh, a small little line, but just like a little comma almost. But straight. Um, that's a yud. From regular writing. The previous Rebbe wrote the yud, the last year of his life. Literally, starting in the month of Shvat, he started, whenever he signed his name, you can see it, the, I, the, the yud in his name is written like a sofer yud. It's large, and the strongest one, phenomenal, is the last letter he wrote that he signed. It was on Ches Shvat, two days before his passing. He signs his name, large, big Yud, and a Sofer Yud, strangest thing. They didn't realize this until after his passing. And when they looked back when he started, he started a year before his passing. So very much knew that he's related to the, the day Yud. So what's the significance? It's a very deep significance. But before we go there, to intrigue everybody in what we're going to say, I'm going to make this a little more you know, interesting, is that the month of Shvat that we're talking about, which in the Torah is associating, is associated, again, everything over here, it's, it's not... This is all Baderach Remez over here. Everything is, is, is all clues and, 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 and things are coded and hinted. That in the month of Shvat, where we spoke, where we have the Kabbalistic permutation, the name of God that's here, where it says, emphasizes the 10th of Shvat. So we as Chabad Hasidim, many of world Jewry that are tuning into this powerful energy, we celebrate the 10th day of Shvat. So the 10th is highlighted, but also the Shvat is highlighted. 
Nou, zwaard... Shvat is the 11th month. As I shared with you earlier, that the Torah speaks about the 11th month. He speaks about the month of Shvat and says that Moshe Rabbeinu says, we sat enough in the exile, now is the time to go to the Giyula. The Torah refers to it as the 11th month. Chodesh Ashtay Asar, the 11th month. So Shvat is the 11th, but the, in the 11th month we highlight the 10th day. Now, which year, before we continue, which year did the previous Rebbe pass away? In the year 5750, which is Tavshin Yud. So you got Yud Shvat in Tavshin Yud. For a person whose name starts with a Yud, both names start with a Yud. Now, to add to that, the previous Rebbe was born in the year Tafresh Mem, which is 18... Tafresh Mem is 1880. Passed away in 1940. Born in 18. No, passed away in 1950. Was born in 1880. Lived exactly 70. Not exactly, but um, he was 70 years old when he passed away. So he's born. The Rebbe points this out. About his father-in-law, he's born in a year. It's not an. It's not. It's it's a it's a fifty-seven. It's a it's a it's a complete ten. Fifty-six, fifty-six forty. He passes away also in a complete year, as we said before. Fifty-seven fifty. Fifty-seven fifty. And. When he was a Rebbe, he was a Rebbe for 30 years. And the Rebbe says that those 30 years were all divided in three 10-year periods. And those 10-year periods are exactly 10 decades, not only in his life, but they're aligned with the, with the, with the, with the tens of time. That means that the changes, his three decades were 10 years he was in Soviet Russia fighting the battle for preservation of Torah and mitzvahs. Ten years he was, after he was been exiled from Russia, and he was primarily in Poland, and ten years later when he was in the United States of America. And the Rebbe explains how his father-in-law's service, each time it changed. It has a complete different energy of what he was doing and what he needed to do. But it was ten, ten, and ten. So you see the domination of the Yud. But again, it's the eleventh month. Now, Chabad Hasidim celebrate Yud Shvat, two things. The culmination of the life of the previous Rebbe and the beginning of the leadership of his successor, which is the Rebbe, which is the seventh generation. So the day has a dual meaning. An end, a culmination, and a beginning. Now the beginning element, which is also done on the 10th day of Shvat, but as the Rebbe pointed out many times, regarding himself, 
he doesn't speak about himself. He, whenever he he's like camouflages it as my father-in-law's extension as a leader after he passes away. But actually, in this talk, he makes more expressive notion that he's talking about himself as another leader. He refers to himself as the ninth leader of the Balshemtov. He says, "My father-in-law." His leadership as he is in the ninth generation. <laughs> the, as he is the leader of the eighth generation, or the eighth, the eighth leader, and then as he is now, energi- is now uh, manifesting as the leader of the ninth generation. Because the two souls were bond up with an inseparable bond. Anybody that knew anything about, knows anything about the relationship and the depth of connection was like extraordinary. It has to do Kabbalistically with the union of Yesod and Malchus, like Yonasan and David, which were the deepest friends, and you couldn't separate them, because this is the power of Yesod and this is Malchus. So to the Rebbe and his father-in-law, literally, like, you've never seen such a bond. Until the point that the Rebbe always refers to his leadership as my father-in-law's leadership. That's a very deep concept, a lot to talk about. But in any case, the Rebbe became Rebbe not in 5750, but in 5751. The Rebbe's official acceptance of leadership was on the first Yortzeit, the first day of the passing of his father-in-law. And that was in the year 5751. Not 5751. 50, I'm sorry, when I said before 5750, please, I, I'm sorry. I, fifth, the previous Rebbe passed away in the year 5710. His, I'm confusing it with, it's 1950, but it's 5710. His son-in-law, the Rebbe, became Rebbe in 57.11. When? On the 11th month. The Rebbe also points out that even though officially it's the 10th day of Shvat, but officially his leadership begins on the 11th day. So the Rebbe, so the, the, the time, so now we have two days in Shvat. We have the 10th day and we have the 11th. The 10th is, the, is, the, is, is related to the conclusion of the previous Rebbe. And the 11th is related to the onset of the, of, of the, of the, of the, of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, of his leadership. Now, do we find anywhere in the Torah, he hinted to, that the 11th, that the number 11 is important in the month of Shvat, other than the Torah calling the month of Shvat the 11th month, which that's obvious, it's the 11th month. But do we find anywhere in the Torah that, the, that there is a hint to Shvat and the 11th day of Shvat being a significant day? Well, take a look. In that very verse, see, everything is so... Everything is stated thousands of years ago was encoded in the Torah. So right when it describes how Moshe speaks to the Jewish people and it gives the day when Moshe spoke, in the 11th, the month of Shvat, the 11th month, which is the 11th month. So the verse before that, in Pasig Beis, says, 11 days. And in the next verse it says, it was on the 40th year in the 11th month. So you put the 11th day in the 11th month. 
Wow. So just like over there we have Shvat and we have the 10th day highlighted, Asiri Yir Kodesh. Over here we have the 11th day highlighted and the 11th month. So we have to say, the previous Rebbe is number 10. In other words, the spiritual dynamics of his neshama and of his content of his generation and of his energy is number 10. And that too is related to redemption. But then, the Lubavitcher Rebbe himself is number 11. Now first of all, we see that across the board about him. He's born on the 11th day of the month of the redemption, the month of Nisan. The 11th day of the month, Yud Aleph Nisan. That's his, his birth. He became Rebbe, as we're saying. He takes over the world, the leadership of world Jewry in the 11th month, in the 11th day, as we spoke, even though, and the Rebbe again, it's 10 and 11, but 10 is his connection still to the previous Rebbe. 11 is when he's moving into his, his role. The 11th day of the 11th month of 57, 11. This is pretty awesome. So number 11 is written all over. What's the significance of all of this? The Rebbe would, the Rebbe would speak about our generation. The Rebbe would say about our generation that we are the last generation of exile and we're the first generation of Golos, of, of Geula, of redemption. The last generation of exile, the first generation of redemption. Number 10 is connected to Moshiach, but it's connected to the completion of the work that we do in exile. So it's the last generation of exile. The completion of, the full completed work concludes with the perfection that the previous Rebbe, number 10, represents. The generation being the first generation of, re, of redemption, that's associated with the Rebbe. That's number 11, not number 10. Because it's beyond perfection. And both of them are related to the month of Shvat. So let me just very briefly explain the difference between the two numbers and how it works. So the Rebbe speaks about his father-in-law and he says, why, was my father -in -law, why did my father-in-law pass away on the 10th day? In addition to all the cool things that we spoke about earlier, all the neat stuff about his name and everything 10 and so on and so forth, his whole line is such symmetric with the number 10, which puts him in connection to Mashiach, because Mashiach is the completion of everything, of perfection of number 10. There has to be in the essence of his work, has to reflect the number 10. The Rebbe says an amazing thing. The significance of number 10 is the letter Yud. What's the letter Yud? The letter Yud is really 
the first letter of God's name. So the letter Yud represents divinity. It represents, it's indicative of Hashem. And that's why it's symbolized with a dot. The significance of a dot really means not the dot. The significance of a dot means something, but something that doesn't have any definition. Something that can't be explained, something that is elusive. We really shouldn't put even a dot because it has no definitions, and therefore you can't grab it here and there and there, but because it's, you want to indicate that God is present, you want to, you want to indicate a presence of, of a being, but you can't describe the being, so you just put a marker, a point. That level is called Asiri Yiyakodesh. The tenth is holy. Holy meaning removed, as we're saying. You don't have no shape or form, no description. It's beyond. It's not graspable, not conceivable, not understandable. It's, it's beyond. However, regarding holiness, Holiness has two, two elements to it. On the one hand, holy, something is holy, means holiness means separated, removed. But it also says regarding an article in the temple that was holy, anybody that touches it becomes holy. Yigdash becomes holy. Which means there is the holiness itself as it stands for itself, but it also infuses everything else with holiness. Going back to the Yud, the Yud is a point which is symbolizing that which is indescribable, that which has no shape and form, which is Hashem. Yet the very point means it's the beginning. It's Hashem already coming as something in the sense that you can at least speak about Him as an entity. And that's the beginning of all entity, of all existence. It's as God is the source of everything else. And that's why the letter Yud, it's a point, but then every letter starts with a Yud. In other words, any mark you're going to make, anything you start with a point, and from that point you make any shape. You'll make a ratio, you'll make a gimel, you'll make a dalad, a samach. Any letter that there is, an A, a B, a C, it starts with that point. So what does the letter Yud represent? It represents the essence of existence, which is God, and how God is the, is the, is the, is the beginning and the, and the power and the truth of all of existence. Elsewhere, not in this talk, it is explained, Rabbi explains many places, that the idea of number 10, and that's why Yud is 10, what's the significance of it being number 10? Is because any object, let's take this object, that, that exists. So it has three, it has three dimensions. You got its, its, its length, its width, and its height. In each one of these, it is discussed that there is the beginning, the middle, and the end. 
Roish, Toich, and Soif. So in this sense, three, three times three is nine. And what's number 10? Number 10 is the essential, the essential um, space that encompasses all of it. So that would symbolize the, 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 the every existence that exists, exists from and within the tenth one. And from the tenth one it grows out. So number ten then, on the one hand number ten is above everything. On the other hand, everything exists, everything is leaning on it, dependent on it. It's its power. And without it, it doesn't exist. So it's the essence of everything. It's the divine spark. So in ourselves, we have a neshama. The essence of our soul, we call, how do we call it? We call it the pintale, a little point. The essence that's undefinable. A place where we don't measure the holiness of a Jew. Based on how much he learned, how much he knows it. Because we know that this is a place sacred, way beyond all the estimations, all the, all the ridiculous measurements that we want to use as measuring the value of somebody. It's an indestructible point of the divine that is unmeasurable. And that's there in every single one of us as our spark. But what do we call it? We call it the Pintale Yud. The Pintale Yid. Yid, that's the Yud. That's the point of divinity. But the full, the full presence of a soul is ten powers. That's the full structure. Because from that yud, from that pintle, emanates all of the soul and all of its powers. And that is true also about any object and any entity in the world. It starts with the divine infusion and it's the spark of the divine that's in it. And then it manifests into all the other nine, which together is equals ten. So what's the ultimate job of the Jewish people in the world? To uncover the Yud. To reveal the spark. To uncover the spark of Hashem that's in each and every one of us. To uncover, so we, we begin with ourselves. We try to reveal our own spark. Our own divine spark. But it's not enough just to reveal the spark, but to have that spark emanate into all our that our smile should express our spark, that our eyes should smile with the spark, that our mouth should speak the spark, that our hands, ten fingers in the hand, should express the yud, the spark of the divinity that's within us. It should find expression in all powers of our being, in every aspect. Of, we should be a a walking yid, a yid, a yud. The Yud should come out in all of our existence. But not, us, not only in ourselves, in the things that we touch, the things we get involved with, the people we meet, bring out the Yud in them as well. In the objects we come into contact with, bring out its divine content, reveal its spark. So really, the content of making the whole world holy is to Asiri Yiyakaydish. That's what the Pasuk says. The tenth is holy. It means because the, 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 this point... The yudale, the point, the little shapeless, def definitionless spark 
of truth that's in everybody and in everything. That's this holy Yud that's there in the entire world, buried and concealed. It needs to be brought out. And then we, when we complete the world, we're bringing it out. We have godliness in everything. And that's why when Mashiach comes and we completed, we uncovered the Yud and therefore everything in the world is expressing godliness, we're going to have perfection of number 10. Because again, it's not just that you reveal the spark of God and the creature is dead. Oh, I'm going to reveal... Like I say, sometimes sadly, you know, a person can become religious and observant and maybe there is a certain godly energy there because they're observant in this, but the rest of them died. The person killed their own personality, they killed their own... Uh, 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 everything that, that makes them who they are has died in the process. So you resurrected God and you killed yourself. That's not what it means to be a Jew. No, that God cancels you. God comes forth and expresses Himself in every facet of your being, in every facet of your personality. So who you were and what you were, God forbid, in the godless state, has now become... exponentially more pronounced and alive and enriched. Because now not only do you have your personality, you have the divine spark that's really the cause of it shining through it. That's Mashiach. When the whole world uncovers that spark and it, and it, and it, and it, so people, people are worried when Mashiach will come, what's going to be with me? Am I still going to be me? You will be so much you but you will be you as you are expressing and one with the, the energy of the divine, the truth of your, the core nucleus of your existence expressed in our existence, in our beingness. Therefore, really, every tzaddik is a yud. That's what a tzaddik is. A tzaddik unreveals that spark, and that spark is there in all aspects of their life. But not every tzaddik passes away on the 10th day of a month, because this is particularly related to the tzaddik who's connected to the final generation where we complete the work of the Yud. That's why the previous Rebbe, when he's signing his name the last year of his life, is putting that big Yud, because he's talking about, he says, the generation, guys, we're finishing already. La'alta l'tshuva, we just have to do one movement of tshuva, la'alta l'gila, we come to the redemption already. The Yud is already fully revealed. And as the Rebbe says, wait, that they hinted to in his name, Yosef, when Yosef was born, why did his mother call him Yosef? She said, Yosef Hashem li God should add to me another son. She knew that Yaakov was going to have a certain amount of children, and they had 11, and she wanted the 12th one should be from her. She said, God should add to me another son. But as I explained once, that would be horrible to name your child, why you called child? Because my, my mother called me with a certain name, because my mother's praying for a brother. That, that, that's, that's very poor. Why would you? That would be a horrible thing that you are basically telling your child that you have no identity to me other than that I'm praying for another one. Pay a little attention to this child. Why would Rachel call Yosef with the name that Hashem... Sh- so therefore we have to go according to the Hasidic interpretation. That this is not a, a, an explanation of the name Binyamin. Sorry, it's not a prayer for Binyamin. It's the content of the energy of who Yosef is. So this is a teaching coming from the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Chabad Rebbe, 
in which he explains that Yosef Hashem Li Ben Acher means that Yosef has the power. Yosef is an incredible soul. He has the power to reveal the spark in everybody, even in someone who feels himself completely estranged to Judaism, even in someone who feels himself as a complete other. And that's the meaning. Bain Acher, to take the Acher, to take the other one. The person disconnected from Judaism, separated from God, feels himself like another. Doesn't feel one with the Jewish people. Feels as an alien to the Jewish people. Because he hasn't been religious, doesn't wear a kippah, doesn't even know the customs, doesn't know Hebrew. Feels completely like an outsider. And what does Yosef have the power to do? Flip him over from being estranged to being Ben, being a son. Being one of our people. Taking the other one, and the Acher, and making him into a Ben. And that's Yosef. Yosef has the power to do that. Now the Rebbe is saying something very deep. The Rebbe says that this, is the, this was the power of my father-in-law. Do you, we, have to, we have to recognize this. This generation has seen enormous amount of Jews coming back to Judaism. The power of the Balchuva, more than any other generation in all of history, where Jews that have been completely separated, sometimes already two, three, even four generations, now even five generations maybe, separated from observance, completely, almost completely assimilated. And yet, the spark, and they come back. And get re-involved. Who is the one? Now, everybody knows Chabad has been at the, at the work of this and the beginners of it, and, and others do as well. Chabad has been at the, at the forefront of it. Where did it start in Chabad? Not with this last, with our Rebbe. It started with Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak, the sixth Rebbe. He started this whole campaign and he came to America primarily. I mean, it started, the roots of it is there earlier, but in a big, when he came to America. To start bringing in, he went, he started public school hours that, uh, I forgot what they called it, um, Release hours when, when yeshiva boys would go to public schools and learn with children, take them out. I mean, this whole amazing network of reaching to the Jewish people that most of the religious Jews were saying, well, these are like, we keep away from them. We're barely just going to defend our own community that we shouldn't lose our children. Not go in in, off in, 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 in offense to try to, it's dangerous. You're going to, the previous, everybody knows Chabad had a different style in it. This was all the previous, he had a power. It's, just, it's a soul power. The, the, the soldiers, the foot soldiers, they are the executors. Now today, okay, say, oh, well, someone who's not a Chabadnik can do it. Yeah, but who opened up that energy? You realize these are certain energies that need to be channeled into the world. It's the soul of the tzaddik that has that energy, that he brings that empowerment into the world. And then it's there ready for everyone. He affects the download. To do what? To uncover the, and even, and let's take it even a step deeper. The idea of the idea of uh, of uncovering the yud, even in the even in the place that you would think that the yud got the, the the divine soul, you meet a person think he's so materialistic. There's nothing spiritual that interests him. You're not getting anywhere. Not even getting the first base. You understand? Never give up. Eventually, you can find that spark and ignite that spark. So in, 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 in persuading Jews to come to Judaism, there's different methods. 
One of the methods is to convince them the truth of Torah. And many successful organizations like Arachim and, and the like, Aish and the like, that have done phenomenal work, reached tens of thousands of Jews, changing their minds and their outlook. And people have become very devout Yidden. Many of them, B'nai Torah, that study, dedicate their... I mean, just... And, 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 I mean, it's, it's incredible. The work that is being done by so many amazing, devoted people. And definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, you, we kindle the flame. These Yidden embrace Torah and mitzvahs and their flame is turned on, you say, in the neshama. But the method is not directly to the spark. The method is, again, today people enter it, but by the way, today already the Hasidic method has entered into every, into every form of, of, of uh, outreach. What I'm saying is it's not the primary focus. Prime's focus is to study Torah with the person and intellectually engage the person till you convince them in their mind that this is true. The Hasidic approach by the previous event is through faith, through amuna, through, through neshama. It's not about convincing the mind. It's not about... Then you're working. Then, then, then you can turn a person on, on the intellect, but you didn't necessarily reach them emotionally. And maybe now they're very convinced intellectually, but emotionally there's a disconnect. Or maybe you can get someone emotionally, but intellectually they're not there. But then there is another method. You, you, you touch their identity. You wake them up at a very core place. You reach their neshama and they, their Jewish soul. Just They start feeling suddenly so Jewish. So automatically, if, if you cultivate it, of course, if you leave it a go, it can... God forbid, get lost. But if you cultivate it and you give direction and you give access to the person, they will then already study and learn and intellectually, emotionally, and behaviorally, things will change. But it begins with the sparking of the neshama. That was the unique way of, that's the unique way of Chabad and that was the unique way of the previous Rebbe instituting it. Like the Rebbe continues with mitzvah campaigns and so on and so forth. It's all the yud. It's touching, sparking the spark of the divine. And then the rest will already evolve because all the nine other features of the soul are all derivatives of Chachmash Nefesh, of this tenth dimension, of the Pintalayid. As we said earlier, the beginning of every letter, which is every power of your soul, every feature of your existence, starts with that yud. Once that yud is in the right place, the tenth is holy. And again, the perfection of that, when we complete firing up every spark across the entire world, we have Mashiach. But this is only an introduction to number 11. Because as it says, there's ten spherot. Ten attributes which represents the entire persona of the divine, and which then translates as the entire world and the cosmos and so forth. 
But the Zohar says regarding God Himself, Antuchad, you are one. Veloy b'chushpan, you're not within the calculated realm of the ten sefirot. The ten sefirot also begin with Hashem, but begins with Hashem as a yud, as a tiny little dot. The yud is already the beginning of existence. God's spark is that sparks all of existence. It's like the nekuda. It's the point of chachma that. It's already part of the Eser Spheros. It's un Chachma, still elusive. It doesn't have any form, but it's still the beginning of something. But then there is the Ein Sof God. It's in Kabbalah and Hasidus, it's referred to as Keser, the crown, or as Pnimiyota Keser, especially, the inner dimension of the crown, which is not counted in the Spheros whatsoever. This is the pure Orein Sof, the infinite one, and this can even be symbolized even with a marker. You can't even make a tiny dot because the dot means it's already the beginning of something. This is not the beginning of anything. Here God transcends existence completely, completely. And yet, that very infinite, transcendental, entire God, so to speak, if we can say, wants a relationship with the world and He's the one who's going to move into the world once we perfected the world on the level of 10, He will move into the world. And that's number 11. Number 11 represents 10 spherot and the one that's above it all, Achad Osor, the 11th one that transcends it all, the one that, that's, that's Hashem's very, 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 very essence revealed in this world. That's nothing, that has nothing to, that already infusion of Hashem's very self into the world is no more related to the perfection of creation. Creation can only make it up to number 10 to reveal the godliness that's within it. 11 comes after the world is perfect already. After we completed the shlemus of the work of the last generation of exile, then we open up to the 11th dimension. Achad asar yoim. The 11th one. And that's the Redeemer. That's Moshiach Tzadkeinu. That's his power of number 11. Orin Sof, the infinite. That is reason why Moshe Rabbeinu, standing on the 11th month, the Torah emphasized. Now, it wasn't the 11th day of the 11th month, but it was the first day of the 11th month, says to the Jewish people, we completed already the download. We completed already all the godly download. Of, now it's time to go to Eretz Yisrael, which means to go to the redemption, to go to Eretz Teve Rechava. But when does he say it? On the 11th month. Because that's the meaning of a Geula, complete and real redemption from all limitations and all boundaries. And interesting, before that it says, 11 days, it was an 11 day journey from Sinai to enter the land of Israel. An 11 day journey. Now the Midrash says, and the Jewish people ruined it, they ruined it because they sinned. Not with the golden calf. This was the sin of the spies. They didn't believe Moshe or whatever. Or they, they, they spoke Lashon Hara on the land of Israel. They ruined it. But the Midrash says that it's a Midrash in Parshas Kisisa by the Chet Egel. That God, in here, in these words, is hinted to the sin of the Jewish people because they negated, God tells Moshe, in the Ten Commandments, there's Ten Commandments, but then there is the innermost of the Tenth Commandment. 
There is the, 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 the Medrash reads the words, Achad Arsar, interesting. The one that's special amongst the ten. Which is what? There's ten commandments. And in the ten commandments, there's the first words, I am God, your God. And that's what the Jewish people rejected or blemished when they were, or disconnected from, or whatever you want to say, with the sin. And God, therefore, but you see from there clearly, that the Achad Osar Yom that's mentioned over here is related to the level of complete transcendence. The, the level of Keser, the Onoichi Hashem Elokecha, the God, it's not part of the ten. It's removed from the ten. It's Keser itself, and Pnimi is a Keser, which is, which is basically referring to the Eberster's very essence himself. That's going to be revealed when Mashiach comes. But over here it's related to the 11th day of Shvat. Achad Osar and it says in the next Pasuk, on the 11th month. So the Rebbe also points out a very interesting thing. Everything he says, like, <laughs> very, very camouflaged. But he says that when the Jewish people went into the land of Israel, in actuality, Moshe Rabbeinu passed away. This was Rosh Chodesh Shvat when Moshe gives this speech, this talk to the Jewish people. Time to move into the next stage. Time to go to the redemption. And then Moshe Rabbeinu says to the Jewish people, sorry, Moshe passed away on the seventh day of Adar. This is 37 days later Moshe passes away. The Jewish people mourned for 30 days. Then they prepared themselves, which is the, 30, which is the seventh day of Nisan, then they prepared themselves for three days and they crossed the Jordan. When did they come into the land of Israel? On the 10th day of, the 10th day of Nisan, they came into the land of Israel. But that's the day they crossed. So that day is still connected to the previous life. The Rebbe says, what's the first day living in the land of Israel? Which means living in the ultimate Freedom, living the ultimate dream of coming into the land of Israel, which represents Mashiach, which represents the, the, the okay. crossing over still is a connection to what's before. You just, in the morning you were on that side, now you're here. The first day, that was when? The 11th day of Nisan. Again, number 11, because the power to go in, move into Eretz Yisrael, to move into this future stage, and the godliness of that stage is number 11. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu makes the statement on the 11th month, that's in the month of Shvat. And he mentions the word, Achad Yom, 11 days, because that's the energy of number 11. Pneumius Akesa that we mentioned earlier, the Pneumius of the crown mentioned before. And the first day that they actually lived in that reality was the 11th day of Nisan, which is again the Rebbe's birthday. 11th day of Shvat becomes Rebbe. That's awesome stuff. And what is the message of the Lubavitcher Rebbe? Main message. The previous Rebbe's message is reach every Jew, connect every Jew. And the Rebbe continues that as the, free, as the previous Rebbe's extension. But the Rebbe's message on his own is the time of the redemption has arrived. We finished already the work of Golos. We're done with that. Now start living Mashiach. Start breathing Mashiach. Start dancing Mashiach, start singing Mashiach, start breathing Mashiach. 
Your entire existence should be Giyula. We have the empowerment of the future. Number 11. And this is so much more pertinent this year. Because this year we're completing 70 years. And the Rebbe finished his work 70 years because part of this completion of the previous is related to 70. The Rebbe's house is 770, which is the completion of the 70 nations, the purification, the last and final stuff. That's still related to the, the previous Rebbe is the one who buys that house, 770. It's still connected to the previous work. But the Rebbe, as Rebbe, is when we complete the 70 and we start going 71. So that's already into the one, into number 11. So this Yud Shvat and Yud Aleph is such a powerful time. Especially this year also, it's like an 11 year because it's 81. It's one, same quality. So we should merit the Yiyula, that's all we can say. We should merit the redemption, prepare ourselves for this powerful day for this awesome time. May you ready be fulfilled in this month of Shvat, which Shvat also stands for Dorach Koychav Mi Yaakov, a star will rise from Jacob, become Shevet Mi Yisrael, a leader with a scepter, the final leader of the, of the Jewish people, will rise, Shevet Mi Yisrael. Shevet is referring to Melech HaMashiach. May we merit already the full revelation of Melech HaMashiach fully for our eyes to see without any more concealments in which we can all point with our finger and say, Hine Huzeh, here he is.